stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Kevin Cook, who is the editor of the Taser newsletter here at Zach's, as well as the Healthcare Innovators, and he also hosts the Mind Over Money podcast. So, Kevin, welcome. This is why I asked you. Yeah, this is why I asked you to have you on because you are our um, kind of emotional investing expert. (laughs) Um, Because I know you cover this topic a lot on your podcast. But okay, so we know the market has gotten a lot more volatile, obviously, in 2018. We've seen like several down 700 point. Dow drop days already. We then you know we get the rebound. Then just recently, the S and P five hundred closed below its two hundred day moving average. That was the first time that's happened since June twenty sixteen. I suddenly got all these followers on Twitter who had like um, Doctor Doom pictures on there. They were like, you know, Dr. Death is following you now (laughs) or like all these crazy like stock doomer people started following me. But I feel like that's kind of a sign that, you know, there's a little bit of panic in there or and then everyone's thinking there's going to be a crash. There's this, there's that. So my big question coming into this podcast was, how do I control my emotions when all of this is going on out there, when we do see these big volatile days, either up or down? And, um, you know, what do I do? Because I don't want to do anything stupid with my investments, basically. I don't want to I don't want to invest or trade on those emotions. But how do investors handle that? Yeah, it's uh, it's a complicated area because, you know, if you look at investors who if there were investors who weren't paying attention to the fundamentals in the past two or three years, and they found themselves buying into new highs, you know, talk about massive regret, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, if, if they were just chasing the market higher, um, you know, then they missed the two years of gains, that the terrific gains we've just had. And now they're left going, oh, my gosh, I've got, you know, I'm down 20% in this and I'm down right. 25% in that. What do I do? What do I do? Well, so, you know, it's a good time to back up and, and say, okay, what am I investing for and what's my time frame? But let's, let's talk about the investors who have followed some of the Zach's portfolios and done really well with us the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, you know, the, we, were, we were due for a correction. You know, in January... Um, during the Zach's ultimate strategy session, I said there were two things that were telling me the market was getting way ahead of itself. And one was the investor's intelligence survey. Are you familiar with investor's intelligence? That's the, that's the one that's been around for over 30 years where they look at what the newsletter writers are saying, people like you and I. Yeah. And are they, you know, are they bullish? Are they calling for a correction? Are they neutral? That investor's intelligence survey got to near record highs of like a, a four to one ratio of bulls to bears, which we hadn't seen since 1987. So that's where the, you know, that's where the exuberance was in mid-January. So that's why I told our people, hey, this, the Dow has definitely gotten ahead of itself. Yeah. And, and people are chasing stocks. You and I talked about Boeing uh, back then. Yeah. You know, it was 29 oh. times and still going up yeah. every day for no apparent reason. Right. Yeah. Right. So that was a good time to, if, you, if you're a long-term investor 
and even if you do some short-term trading, hopefully you have some kind of plan. You have a, you have a time horizon. Hey, I'm going to, this is a stock, you know, some stocks I want to buy and own and hold for two or three years. And for, for me, that's been Alibaba. Uh, other stocks I'm just kind of trading in and out of and seeing what happens. I'm not, I'm not sure. Lately, that's been Facebook for me. <laughs> okay. But, but when, but when you, if you've had some profits and you had some good gains coming to the bull market, all of a sudden you see this, this huge red flag of sentiment, which is, you know, the investors intelligence survey uh, over four to one bulls to bears. That's telling you that, hey, there's some irrational exuberance here. And so that was a time to, to trim a little bit back. And that way you're not emotional. You, you've already got gains, and you're watching other people react emotionally. And, you know, so, so having an indicator like that. Now, let's, let's talk about something more current. We've had a ton of volatility. You're talking about these 700-point moves in the Dow. Yeah. Um, I recapped last night for my Taser folks uh, what's really going on. And it said, you know, with the 3% moves we've been having, now, the, the S&P hasn't closed down 3%, but intraday, the S&P has had losses of 3% or greater in, in, you know, during the trading day. Yeah. Um, that would equate to a daily VIX volatility of the, the VIX should be at, at 40. For a okay. 3% move in the S&P, the VIX could easily spike to 40, and it's not. And that's what I told my people last night. The VIX is the VIX is very calm, and that's why we bought yesterday. We bought the lows yesterday, and um, and I expected some kind of rally here. No, I don't care about the 200-day moving average at all. That spike okay. below to me, that spike that that was a, a rope a dope or a, a Venus flytrap, as far as I'm concerned. That that closed below the 200-day. Yeah. Everybody's looking at that. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not looking at that. So what I did is I made a chart for my investors last night. I said, uh, and I showed them, I showed them things like the put call ratio. I don't know if you're familiar with the put call ratio, no. but it's it's how many puts are trading versus calls on any given day. Now you can imagine when the VIX is spiking, there's lots of fear the market is selling off that there's a lot more puts being bought than calls. Common yeah. sense, right? Yeah. Well, when that ra- when that ratio gets um, above one and above like 1.25, let's say uh, yesterday closed at 1.28. That, that is also a sign of fear, and it, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean, okay, you're going to have a capitulation bottom that day. But what I did is I showed a three-year chart of the put-call ratio, and I showed how um, it spiked above one, one, 1.25 in January of 2016 during the earnings recession. Then it did it again in uh, June of 2016 during Brexit. And I think you just mentioned the summer of 2016, didn't you, for, uh, for you know, sell, sell-offs we haven't seen while this goes back to the, the post-Brexit days. And then right before the presidential election in November of 2016, we had a spike in the put-call ratio. So these are, these are other signs of emotions running high, and investors who have a plan can say, you know what, I'm not selling my FANG stocks here. Because technology earnings are still strong, so I'm I'm going to hold I'm going to hold the line. Okay, let's talk about the Fang because I feel like a lot of investors they're all in the Fang because I am too. Um, I think everyone owns the Fang, right? At least you own parts of it or whatever. 
But but now the fang used to be the sure thing. They only went up um, or if they pulled back, it was very little. You know, that's where I went to hide out from the volatility. But not right now. <laughs> right now, that's the place that's right. seem, seemingly among the most volatile. But this is new. So I feel like it's freaking out a lot of people. But how much does that have to do with lack of diversity in in their portfolios. Um, you know, I, I know some people who have admitted that their FANG positions are, you know, they're overweight in them and it's more than half their portfolio or something. So in those cases, yeah, they're really feeling the pain right now. And I'm, I'm sure your listeners know exactly what FANG is, but I'll just yeah. recap it for anybody who doesn't. Um, you know, with the acronym, it was actually started by my, uh, uh, a buddy of mine who does the technical analysis for Jim Cramer. Um, Bob Lang, he coined the term FANG in 2013, and it stands for Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Uh, but, you know, if you were really, truly a diverse tech investor, you also threw in Apple and NVIDIA, as far as I'm concerned. And right. I like the Fang. I like the N for NVIDIA better than yeah. Netflix, because you and I have both talked about this, like, how can, how can Netflix justify this valuation with how much they're spending yeah. to play the content gotcha. game, which is such a... Uh, you know, a cutthroat game. Yeah. But anyway, at Zach's, we, we pay attention to the fundamentals. You know, we were looking at earnings estimate revisions. And th- that ha- that's what puts you into the FANG stocks, Facebook and Amazon and Google, is they're just earnings machines, you know, and it's because of the tech cycle we're in and things going to the cloud and mobile and artificial intelligence and data centers. Um, you know, that's what's driving the earnings. So in Q4, Tech earnings grew 23.5% year over year, which is just incredible. It's the, it, you know, it's the strongest earnings driver in the S&P, and that's why, once again, the, S&P, the, the tech sector became 25% of the S&P, just like it did during the last tech bubble in 1999-2000. But the earnings are real, and, and that's, why, you know, that's why you go to these stocks. You know, you're not going – I mean, you can dabble for energy values. And hey, if you if you're a good stock picker with industrials, industrials have done great on the on the economic strength we've had. Yeah. But if you really look out to the future, you know you go for these tech stocks, which is what I've done. You concentrate there, but they do get overdone. And yeah, if you're if you're overexposed there, you know it hurt. Um, in in Taser, we somehow survived. We ended up uh, first quarter we were up 11 percent versus the S and P, which was down 1.2 percent. So I, I survived being heavily tech exposed, and and the, but the risk for me is that the earnings comps, so to speak, the comparables for the next few quarters are going to be much tougher. Right? We've we've seen we've had double digit earnings growth in tech, and we like I said, we just had twenty three and a half percent growth. We're not going to, you know, that could be the peak. So maybe Q one only grows at you know sixteen percent. And then, you know, and maybe Q2 only grows at 12%. And then are we talking we're down to 10% growth in, in tech earnings in Q3? Hey, that's possible. But you know what? The, the growth is still there, better than some sectors, and the valuations are still strong in these global franchises. I just saw, I mentioned Alibaba. I just saw a note today that Alibaba finally makes the list of some of the most favored tech stocks among global portfolio managers. So that's the... You know, that's the other fang. I don't know what they call yeah. the, the China stocks, Baidu and, and uh, oh, yeah. Tencent. There is a name. I forget what it yeah, is. Yeah, I think yeah. it's Bat. Ba- oh, Baidu. yeah, that's right. Uh, 
I buy do Alibaba and Tencent. Tencent, uh, yeah. And and you know about those stocks as well. Yeah. So, so th- because these, you know, I I call Alibaba the Amazon of China, as many investors do, for good reason. It's doing all the th- same things that Amazon did in the U.S. Alibaba is doing it in China, and and creating massive revenues. And so that's why investment dollars will continue to go into these names, especially on the fullbacks. So are the expectations that you just laid out, is that the real risk here with the FANG or the BATS or any of these tech growth stocks? Because I see, I've seen this in Ulta, um, which is a retail stock, but they had the best comps in the retail industry for the last year and a half. And they were the one of the few, if not the only one, doing actual double-digit comps. And you can only keep doing that for so long because, as you know, the comps are year over year, any of these kind of growth Mm -hmm. scenarios. Mm -hmm. So if you grow one quarter at 15% and then you do the next quarter at 15%, well, you just no mature company can continue to grow the earnings, you know, or the comps in this case with Ulta, 15%, you know, three years in a row, that would be like gains of 45, you know, and up percent over the, in within three year time period. It's just, even the best companies can't do it. So when I hear you saying, you know, they they did 23%, but then they may only do like 10, 10 is still outstanding, especially given the comp that tech industry had a year ago. But what, you know, the the market doesn't care, I've discovered, like they, they don't like, oh, that's still good, but it's just not what it was, but it's going down now. That's what people right. always tell me about Ulta, but it's declining, Tracy. Well, yeah, it has to. So what's the danger that that kind of sentiment could leak in or has already leaked into the fang that, like you said, peak earnings, they can't continue to do it. So why should I own these? It's It can't get any better from here. It's only going to get worse. Right, right. And, and uh, you know, fund managers like, uh, who's the guy from Leg Mason? Bill Miller? Yeah. His name? Yes. Yeah, a guy like, I'll just use him as like your, your prototypical growth fund investor. Yeah, he's the guy who's going to go, wait, if we're peaking, I'm getting out. Right, right, right. But here's the thing, and and so there's several people I listen to, but some of the most important are I want to hear from the CEOs, right? The CEOs of their companies. What are they saying on their conference calls? And two companies I own, Lamb Research and Micron. I mean, those guys. They were stop talk. Yes. You know, great, great calls. Great guidance. They're. I call it the technology super cycle because it's the one that the analysts started bashing in 2014. Yeah. 2014, I remember Goldman saying, you know what, that's it for semiconductors. Right, they're done. This is the top of the cycle. Get out while you can, because they've seen this movie before, that technology is very cyclical, it's going to peak, you get out. Well, that was the wrong advice in 2014, and in 15, and in 16, and in 17. And I think it's, you know, unless you're very selective, you know, it's going to be the wrong advice in 2018, is that, because that's what I'm hearing on the conference calls from Lam Research, Micron, NVIDIA, and I even own this little Micron called uh, Smart Global Holdings. But the, the, the technology supercycle is not over, and these guys are seeing – they have great outlooks because they, the customer demand is there. You know, they, uh, Micron can't even keep up with demand right now. Yeah. So, so, so that raises the question, like, if you're a large hedge fund, you still might be thinking about – selling into rallies because you have such large positions and it takes you longer to get out. And so you have to look out six to 12 months. You know, do, 
does the cycle peak in six to 12 months? And so I need to be out ahead of that. I think for smaller investors, we can continue to ride it just, just like we have. And, um, and so I'm watching the analysts, you know, if they're lowering estimates, but I'm also paying close attention to what the companies are saying about demand. Yeah, I feel I listen to some of those conference calls, too, and um, they they are very bullish on there. But I almost feel like they're trying to convince the analysts and the street, which they do, that (laughs) the cycle isn't ending. But what else can they do to convince except show the numbers? Um, But everybody's kind of in this with the semis, at least they're in this waiting game of when will it end? And I don't know, that makes me a little nervous with some of these, even though valuations are dirt cheap on on the semiconductors area right now. But what do you think about the social media stocks with the problems that Facebook has had um, in particular? But there's others, you know, um, they all kind of were selling off on the same fears about the data and that there might be more regulation. Is that an issue on the social media type stocks of the FANG, like Facebook and Google in particular? Definitely. That that whole space is definitely in the crosshairs because, I mean, two things that are pretty hard to fight are government regulation. I don't know when, yeah. when Zuckerberg goes to testify before Congress. Um, do, do we know that date? I don't think they've said it yet. Okay. But when he does, that's going to be brutal. I mean, because yeah. you know how those senators will just tear into somebody. Oh, yeah. Remember so, what they did what? to the um, tobacco guys? And then the yeah. oil. They had big oil in there, yeah. too. Those those weren't good. Oh, and then after the financial crisis, you know, get some bankers up there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so <laughs> that's going to be that's going to be further bad for some. Even if there's no laws passed right away. Yeah. Just the just the you know, the specter of having, you know, being on, on the Hill and getting grilled like that yeah. is bad for sentiment. And then and then the public backlash. I mean, we had uh, Jim Carrey do his uh, delete Facebook campaign. Yeah. And then Elon, Elon Musk did it for, um, he took. He actually he took them the, off. Yeah. Yeah. Tesla. He shut down the pages. Yeah. So, yeah. so the, the regulatory and the public backlash is real. Um, I'm a little scared owning Facebook right here. But but it is you know is the business model under threat? It's, it's got this incredible advertising business model, and I learned about it sort of from the ground up by uh, talking to business owners who were using Facebook for advertising and finding their customers and finding their clients, and and they still love it. Right. So the the question is is but if um, if regulation changes something that Facebook can do, that's going to hurt them, and if the public backlash is so great that now instead of talking about 2 billion users, you're only talking about 1.5 billion or something, yeah. you know, I don't think it's going to drop that much, but, but for advertisers, um, you know, are they going to, are they going to start backing off using it? Because uh, you you can't argue with the revenue stream this company has created, right. you know, um, uh, you know, 35 billion, 40 billion in advertising revenues, uh, almost rivaling Google, and, and those two own the digital advertising space. Yeah. Um, you've had corporations also sign off, like Unilever said, no more Facebook. But, but I think that corporations could come back, too. You know, if the thing about Zuckerberg is he's tried to be ahead of the thing. You know, he, even last summer, he was creating uh, reform, changing the algorithms, changing the news feed, and trying to get on the right track because he knew that, you know, the algorithms had sort of gotten out of control and been abused. 
Yeah. So if, if he can turn that around, positive sentiment may come back for all the social media stocks, um, but it may take some time. I, I, I'm amazed at what Twitter has done. I wish I had really paid attention to Twitter and the, and the teens because they really learned how to monetize their advertising model. And now, if, but they may face some of the same problems with bots, right? You know, excessive, excessive bots they cannot control, right? And they collect and plenty of data off of what you're looking at when you're on there too. Mm-hmm. It's no different. They're just not in the crosshairs right now. So yeah, there's there's a lot going on with those. I actually own Facebook in my own personal portfolio, but I bought it to buy Instagram, and that's kind of getting caught up in all of this too. Nobody's saying delete Instagram. I haven't seen these <laughs> campaigns. I think a lot of people don't realize it's owned by Facebook. To be honest, yeah, people and who still, use it, it, yeah, it's still a pretty active medium, even for younger people. Yeah, um, and advertisers are learning how to use it. So there's a oh there's for sure. A, yeah, there's a triple-digit growth metric there for advertising revenue. Um, you know, may, it'll never compare to the news feed, but it is a growth area for Facebook. So um, is the FANG and the FANG Lite, we'll just lump all those kind of stocks together, are, <laughs> are they still sure things with this pullback, well, or what would you uh, call them I mean, now? I, I have called them sure things. I actually don't use that phrase, sure things. Okay. But, but I have strongly believed in them because I looked at the fundamentals and because I looked at the big investors who were also buying them. Yeah. So to me, you know, the, so, so to me, I could tell my followers, yes, we're buying this and we're staying with it and here's why, or we're adding to this position and here's why. I, but I don't necessarily go out to the world and I would never say, you know, that these stocks are a sure thing. Okay. I would just argue that, you know, in the case of Alibaba, the Amazon of China, all the different things they're doing in e-commerce, technology, data centers. They're growing their own, you know, data center business. So all these things are working for them. And you're talking about a middle class in China of 600 million people, arguably, yeah. you know, at yeah. different levels, obviously. But, but you know, that, that can drive long-term returns. And they, and Jack Ma at Alibaba knows what he's doing. You know, he knows how, he knows, you know, where Chinese society is going and what trends they need to be a part of, either in terms of technology or consumers or, or that combination. Uh, NVIDIA, um, you know, the one that I added to the fang, yeah. because, you know, I threw out Netflix, you know, nobody can touch them in what they're doing yeah. with artificial intelligence chips, whether it's for vehicles or, um, you know, data centers or supercomputing. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, Well, that's giving us some good uh, discussion on what to do to control your emotions during this stock market volatility. I mean, yeah, I kind of got away from the emotional thing, but just just to come back to it, it's you have to have a plan for yourself and know your time frame and then and then review your plan. I do it with um, I do it with my taser trader group. When the market gets really volatile, I make a map and that sort of guides us about what the volatility could be like for the next 30 days. And so what I prepare them for is that, hey, the market could go down to this level, and here's what we're going to do at that level. And that level might be 5 or 10% lower. So I'm already preparing them psychologically yeah. for here's the worst that could happen. And I actually drew up a scenario where the S&P could go to S&P 2400 and even S&P 2200. And then I outlined 
here's the probability that the S&P goes to S- that goes to 2400 and here's the probability that it goes to 2200 and here's what we're going to do at each of those points so right away my followers go to bed at night going okay we've got a plan and and that so that's how we totally control our emotions yeah and and know that hey i mean it helps that we've been smart investors for the past year and so we had good gains coming into the volatility yeah we gave up some of those gains but we won the battle in Q1, we won it last year, so we're really happy with you know how well we're doing, and so we're going to get dinged up, and then we look at when everybody else is throwing stocks out with the bathwater, we're going to be buying them. Yeah, that's really good points to make to have that plan because that that is how you maintain control. It reminds me of people who are afraid of flying, and they uh, they uh-huh. tell you one of the ways to overcome your fear is to have the plan when you get on the plane, like count the number of um, rows to the exit, sit on the aisle. Like these are all things you can do to have more control over your environment. But it's applicable to investing too. And people forget that because they kind of just willy-nilly buy stuff, I feel. And then they they get caught, you know, flat-footed when there is a stock market sell-off or correction of some sort. And then they're like, you know, they panic much more than those like you and your followers on your your subscribers who know the direction they're going in. So that's that's really good advice um, in this, you know, this, this type of market. That's interesting you brought up the airplane because um, I didn't even come into financial markets until I was 30 years old. So I was not trained in finance, had no background in finance or markets. And I had done a bunch of different things, started a bunch of different businesses, you know, small restaurants, yeah. that kind of thing. But the one thing, so as I learned to become a trader in my 30s, and learned the markets. The one thing I look back on was when I was 15 years old, my dad taught me how to fly an airplane. Oh. And fly, flying an airplane is all about risk management and contingencies. Yeah. You, you have a checklist, and you always know what you're going to do. If A happens, we do this. If B happens, we do this. If C happens, we do that. It's all about contingencies and risk management. And so I was, I was like, wow, this trading thing, it's a lot like flying. And and I actually wrote my wrote a book to my dad what what flight training taught me about the markets. Huh, um, interesting. Because yeah, and so it, I mean it's just a perfect analogy. Yeah. You know, pilots pilots usually make pretty good investors because you know they're they have the the the, the lives of three hundred people you know <laughs> right. in their hands sometimes, and so to them, hey, I can navigate a little bit of market volatility. Yeah. But what does that mean for the passengers, the the afraid of flying passengers? I don't know. But those who are, I don't know about that. Yeah, but those who are able to get on the plane, even though they have that fear, I feel like they they could be pretty good investors too, because you're at least you know you're taking that risk, you're going for it, even though you have the fear, and you're trying to control your environment. So that's absolutely yeah. They've got they've got control of their minds. Yeah, yeah. So let's recap some of the stocks we did mention. So you seem really high on Alibaba. So let's mention that one. It's B-A-B-A. Mm-hmm. And we talked about Facebook. That's F-B. And Twitter a little bit. That's T-W-T-R Micron. You own it and I own it in the value investor too. That ticker is M-U. And it sounds like you also are a big fan of NVIDIA still with the ticker yeah. N-V-D-A is NVIDIA there. So yeah, you can you can tell the ones you're, you're pretty high on just by talking to you, <laughs> which is good. Um, okay. So 
I'm sure we'll be back again. Um, and, you know, hopefully we have something we can talk about with the stock market, you know, not having this kind of volatility. But it's always good to have you on the show, Kevin, because you do point out these ways that we can kind of control our emotions which is vital in investing, but be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you can get all of the Zach's Market Edge podcasts so that you don't miss any of our updates here. And you can also get us on SoundCloud over there. You can subscribe there as well. And be sure to leave a comment or a review of us on Apple Podcasts if you really like this podcast so that other people know that, hey, there's a good investing podcast out there and you might want to check it out. So I'll see you again next time. 